Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Father, the cry of our hearts this morning is that you would have your way in us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you to open our hearts, to open our minds, to calm our spirits, to shut off those voices, those antagonizing thoughts, and to open us up to the glory that is yours alone. (coughs) Our Lord Jesus Christ, be king in this place. We take authority over every spirit that would distract, blind, and confuse. In the name of Jesus, we command you to leave our presence. Holy Spirit, come and awaken our hearts for the work of your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Uh, This morning we're carrying on with our our prophet, Elijah. I'm growing to love this man. And you know, I I realize as I preach and preach of this subject of Elijah, there is a sense in which we can become over-familiar. We just think, oh, it's Elijah again. And, and there's so much that we can learn from this man. And although I know that there are some things that I repeat from week to week, it's not just that I want to be repetitive. I want us to try to get hold of this guy and to let the knowledge of who he is and what he has done and what he was accomplishing sink into us that it might take root in our hearts and that we might truly be strengthened through him. We want to walk in his footsteps. I do believe that Elijah wasn't just a prophet, but I believe that he is a prophetic voice to the nations today. I believe the things that we see in Elijah that were so important for the awakening, for the opening up of the nation of Israel, for that reawakening that he was bringing to his people, that the same is true today in the church. The spirit of Elijah which came through John the Baptist as it before Jesus Christ came to prepare the way for Jesus, that same spirit needs to be in the church today. That we may see the church awakened, we may see the church confronting its society and bringing in the presence of God. That's what we need to see. So it's very relevant. Although this is a prophet of old, he is a prophet of today. And we all need that spirit in us, that spirit of strength that, that comes, that confronts, that uh, brings the strength of God. Here with Elijah, we see a man who trusted in God alone. We see a man who saw the faithless state of his nation and a man who was prepared not just to say, cool, that's a bad thing, you know, why should this be happening? But a man who stepped up to the plate, a man who gave himself to actually say, okay, enough is enough. If you need somebody, I'm here. I'm going to stand in the gap. I will give myself to see my nation transformed. What a challenge that is. He's a man of great faith and a man of prayer who gave himself to prayer. And uh, we want to just learn from this guy this morning. Is there anybody here this morning who'd just like to come and read the Bible passage for us? It's not terribly long, a few verses. To be honest, it's from 1 Kings 17, 7 to 14, uh, 7 to 24 even. But somebody, Sammy, here's the guy. Come with your Bible. We would delight to hear the Word of God being read. Or you can use my Bible. Here you go. That would be even better, especially if I could find the place. One second. Please, we're reading from here. Here we are. 
Thank you. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the, the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once, Zephaniah. Zephah. To Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a window in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zephah, where he came to know, came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I'm so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives you rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. He said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you not come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him into an upper room where he, where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon the, the widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him. And he lived, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know 
that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Amen. Thank you very much, Samuel. Bless you. Bless you for that. Hallelujah. It's good to have the word of God read to us uh, and this story. Now, I know we went over this story last time a little bit. We looked at the widow and we looked at certain aspects of the widow's life. And today, we're not just going to do this. In fact, today it's got to be a bit of a whirlwind because we want to accomplish, as always, a number of different things. But we cannot just gloss over this and go on to the next story because there's important points that I also want to bring out from this story. You know, this woman was an amazing woman. She was facing extreme hardship. When Elijah met her, there she was just collecting sticks. She was out just collecting up the last few bits of firewood so that she could go home and actually make some bread. She's a single parent family. She's got struggles. She was facing extreme hardship. All that she has is a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in this jug. She is an unbeliever. You know, often we don't really think about who the characters are that we're coming into context with. Elijah had left Israel. He had been taken away from Israel. He'd gone to this brook where he'd been for a while, and now he had been sent to find a widow. He'd been sent to find this woman, so he finds this woman. Whether in those days the women were, who were widows wore black, you know, if you go to somewhere like Greece or somewhere like that, you often see any woman who has lost her husband she would be wearing black, and there's always an identification. Maybe that was the case here, that Elijah, just by the way that this woman was dressed, that he knew that she was a widow. Anyway, he met with her, but she was in tough circumstances. She was an unbeliever. She did not follow the God of Israel. She was under the gods of the land in which she lived. In Sidon, who was the king of Sidon? Well, it was Jezebel's father. That's where there was Baal worship going. That's where people were just trying to live their lives the way that they wanted. The things that they wanted to do. That self-pleasure. That's what they were after in her nation. That's what she was following. This is just like speaking to somebody who's in Bromley High Street now. Not in church. They're about their business. They're just going around the glades. They're just looking at the shops. They're having a coffee in Pret or in Cafe Nero. They're just enjoying their day for what it is. They don't know anything else. They're serving the gods of their own land. They're serving the things that are familiar to them. That's what this widow was like. And Elijah says to her, hey, come and get me a glass of water. And then he says to her, please, go and get me something to make. Elijah says to her, first, make me a small cake of bread from what you have. This is what my God this is what my God says. The jar of flour that you're talking about, that handful of flour, it's not going to be used up. You know your little jug? That which has just got a measure of oil left in it? When you use it, it's not going to run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. This woman was not only a woman who was in short supply of food, the famine, the drought that was spreading out from Israel was also affecting where she was. The widow, as we know, went away and did as Elijah told her. Her activity was this. She believed the word and acted on it. Just stop just there for one second. How much of the Bible have you read this week? You've read some of those bits where God's spoken to you. You've read again of some of his promises, his commands. You've just been reading through the Bible, seeing some things. How much of that word was commands from God 
that we have read and understood but not taken on board. This woman, who was just a non-believer, she listened to what this man of God had to say. Elijah was carrying an authority over his life. Of that there's no doubt. There was an atmosphere around him that affected this widow. He issued the command of the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. She took hold of that command. She obeyed it. She believed the word and acted upon it. You know, James says to us that we should not be hearers of the word only, but we need to be doers of the word. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. We'd be walking in self-deception, and we don't want to do that. And the result was that there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and her family. What's it like? You know, the first day, and then she sort of thinks, they made the cake, okay. Second day, well, I guess I'd have underestimated. You know, I, I, I didn't realize I had more than I thought. The third day, the fourth day, this is pretty amazing. Guys, I know it's the same meal that we've got every day, but we've got food. We've got food. And that was the point. Don't you think she would have been a bit more amazed than it appears to be the case? This was the provision of God for her. There was something, as I say, about Elijah. Maybe she had heard something of the God of Israel through him. But whatever, she chose to deny herself and to trust the word of God. And you know what? That is the thing that we have been called to live by. We've been called to do exactly the same. We have been called to obey the commands of God. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 6 says this. We know that we have come to know him, that is Jesus, if we obey his commands. <laughs> You see, this story is in the Old Testament, but it relates exactly to the life that we are living in the New Testament. If we know that we have come, or rather, we know that we have come to know him, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. Now, there's a challenge for us. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is, tr is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And again from the teaching of, of Jesus, in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now in the New Living Translation, it puts it like this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. The woman was asked to go out of the things that she had left, the very final bits that she had, the little bit of flour, the little bit of oil, and she was asked, first, first, make something for me. Now, hang on a second. This is our last meal. It might not be very glamorous, but it's all we've got. Yeah, why should I deny myself to feed you? Why? Because it's a principle of God. And this principle, we can see it in her life. It cost her something. She had to make a choice. She had to make a decision to say, I am not going to satisfy my needs I'm going to actually serve somebody else. That principle is the principle of what we are seeking to live by. But you see it in her life. 
Sometimes it's so much easier to see it in action. You can feel it with this woman. It cost her something. She had to deny herself because she first had to make the cake of bread for Elijah. And she had to trust the word. I'm going to choose that out of my self-denial, out of giving up what I could have for myself, I'm going to serve you first. And in serving you first, I'm denying myself, but I'm trusting in what you say. It shall come to pass. Notice that for her, there might have been an immediate loss, but there was an infinite blessing. Now, come on. We need to speak that into our life. Because all we often think about is the immediate loss. Oh, how much time am I losing? I can't afford to do this. I don't want to do this. There's the immediate counting of the cost. There's an immediate loss that we fight against. That's what hits our souls, and we're resisting it. But you see, with God, he is good. And all of his ways are good. And we need to get hold of this good God. We have a God that is for us, not against us. We have a God who wants to bless us. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father who is in heaven, who delights to give. There may be an instantaneous cost, but there is the desire for a long-term provision from God. Can we just get that in our minds? Can we sow that into our spirits so that we can understand? What a tremendous work now was taking place in this widow. But one thing else I see with this widow, which I think we need to underline for our lives, this widow had now begun a journey. And you know what? We are on a journey. So often we think, like, I've prayed a prayer of commitment, I've given myself, I've become a Christian, and therefore I'm not so much on a journey, I've arrived. But we see there's not an arrival here, there's a journey, there's always a journey. We're all on a journey. You think about a seed, a seed is always going to be, even an acorn is always going to be the very emphasis, the very element of oak is written upon it. But it's in that small seed, it's in an acorn, the acorn goes into the ground, that acorn can then establish a small sapling, a small growth that eventually grows up into a young oak tree. It is always declared to be an oak tree, even when it's only this high or that high. But we are thinking of an oak tree as being that big tree that spreads out in all its magnificence. But you know what? Right from that acorn, that oak has been on a journey. And we're on a journey. And you know what? There's no shame in being on a journey because we're going to a destination. We're going to a destination. We're growing up in God. Let's stop evaluating one another of where we are. Let's make sure we encourage each other daily because we need to understand, come on, keep going. Keep going with this journey. You had a hard week? Sometimes we have the up weeks. Sometimes we have the down weeks. Sometimes everything seems to go all right. Sometimes everything seems to be against us. Sometimes we feel holy and righteous and glorious and full of the joy of the Lord. And sometimes we just don't. And everything seems to be arrayed against us. And we're struggling even to pull ourselves up. And yes, I am happy today, I think. You know, we're a bit like that because we, we do go up and down. Keep the praise. Keep the encouragement flowing to one another because we're all on a journey. And this woman, she was on a journey. Sometime later, the scripture says, and it's not that long, because if we were to jump down to chapter 18, verse 1, it says, after a long time in the third year, talking about the length of time of the famine. So if a long time is three years, then sometime later is only a few weeks or a couple of months. But Elijah had been in the house, he'd been staying in the house with this woman, 
What had he been doing? I mean, he'd been staying with the family. When you stay with somebody, you get to know them, don't you? You start to share your story. Had he been telling them about, you know, the jar and the, the little bit of flour in the, in, and the, the jar of oil? That's nothing. A few weeks ago, I had birds. I had ravens coming to feed me. You want to hear about that? I was in this ravine. You should have seen the things that God was saying to me. I don't know what he was sharing with her. But you can know, he was sharing his life with this widow. He was affecting her and her family over time. But there came this day when the boy of the house, he got sick. And the next day, he wasn't any better. He was worse. And then he got worse still. And then he died. How did Elijah feel that moment? There's sadness in your heart. You know what it's like in Middle Eastern countries? There's wailing. I'm sure the widow would have been wailing. There's an outward display of grief. The house is struck. Times are bad anyway. They've got some food, they're surviving, but times are bad. There is drought around. People are having a tough time. People are down. And now death has come. And this woman who had seen something of the amazing miracles of God in her household, we start to see something that's a little bit deeper in her life. What do you have against me, man of God? What do you have against me? What have I done to deserve this? What's going on? Have you come here to remind me of my sin? Have you come here to kill my son? You see, the effect of the presence of Elijah and the word that he was bringing, the life that he was sharing was impacting this woman. She was an unbeliever, but she was in, beginning to find a journey. She was beginning to have an encounter with God. She was beginning to understand some of the ways of God. She was beginning to ask questions and learn things about all sorts of bits and pieces. But now, during that process, she was realizing that in her life there were things that were not right. There were things that she'd done wrong. And somehow she was being reminded of it. There was a conviction of her life. Now, we don't know what she'd done. We don't know her life story. None of that is revealed to her. But it's interesting to see that for her, perhaps she felt that what she'd done was so bad that actually the punishment that might meet that was that she would lose her son. How terrible. God is not like that. God hates sin, and he wants to deal with sin. And he does bring us under conviction, but conviction, the conviction of God is always designed to bring us to him, that we might find forgiveness, that we might find relief. And for this widow, here she is, and she's actually sort of angry, responding to Elijah. What have you got against me, man of God? Do you come here to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Have you come to judge me? Have you come to punish me? Is that the real reason you came? You've given us this food. You've enabled us to survive this long. But what's the real reason that you wanted to show to us that we didn't know your God? Is that the reason? Have you come to destroy my family? Have you come to bring heartache to me? You can feel the emotion coming out of her. The sadness the trauma that she's dealing with. Stop here just one moment to think about Elijah. Elijah is simply living from day to day. He's simply trying to trust in God. He's surrendered to God. He's given himself to God. He's following God's purposes. But was he expecting this? No. 
You know, we have this sense of like, the prophet of God walks, well, they walk at least a foot above the soil. You know, it's more of a hover and a glide than anybody else would have. They seem to know everything. Everything seems to be fine for them. When they pray, everything happens. You know, it's all good stuff. This is what Elijah was like, wasn't it? No. Elijah didn't know this was going to happen. Elijah just thought the boy was being ill. Perhaps he thought the boy was going to get better. That day was not a great day in the house. Elijah didn't know quite what to do. The only thing that Elijah could do was to do what he had been learning, which is to trust in God. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't trained medically. I'm sure he didn't really actually have much of a clue. All he did was to say, give the boy to me. Give me your son. Remember, the boy is dead. Now, I personally have not seen a dead body close up. But I know that everybody that I've spoken to who has, because they've seen a, a mum or a dad or somebody in their family, the one thing they say is, it's not there. They're gone. That's the shell of their body that they've got. And so I guess that's how the widow felt. Maybe even that's what Elijah felt. He's picked up this boy. We don't know how large he was. Obviously not that large if he could pick him up. So a young lad, and he's just got a dead body in his hand. And he takes the boy up to his room and lays the boy on his bed. Then it says, Elijah did the only thing that he knew what to do. He cried out to the Lord. Oh Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy. Also upon this widow, I am saying, by causing her son to die. God, what's happening? I don't understand it. Why have you brought this on this widow? You are a good God. All of your ways are good. Your ways are just. Your ways are kind. You have not changed. You remain steadfast. I do not understand. Isn't it an encouragement to know that the man of God, this super powerful guy, this one that does after all seem to be on a much higher level than us, he didn't really know what to pray. He just knew he had to come before God. That's all he's got. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. He just say, have you, have you brought tragedy at you? Everything seems to be going wrong here, God. Help! What am I supposed to do? What can you do? God, please. Now, we don't know whether there was any interaction in this prayer time or not. I think there probably was something that he felt from God because now he's lying down on the boy, which in one sense is a bit weird. What's all that about? And I know anybody who doesn't really believe in miracles but wants to actually explain this situation away would start to say things like, well, the warmth of his body helped the boy's body to warm up, and perhaps, you know, he actually massaged him so that the blood started to circulate. No, this boy was dead. Elijah was just calling upon God. You are the God that can do all things. You are the God that has fed me with the ravens. You are the God that has provided. When you speak, it comes to pass. You are able to do all things. God, I don't know whether you're going to answer my prayer or not, but you are able to bring this boy's life back. You are able to do it. And he laid himself on the boy once. He laid himself on the boy twice. He laid himself on the boy three times. Can I just say to you, he was not frightened of persevering. 
there is a lesson. There is a lesson. We tend to back away from perseverance. Perseverance says, there is a problem here. I have a God who will answer. I must have an answer because I'm not leaving him. That's perseverance. Praying and doing the right thing is that we say, God, bring this boy's life back. I'll try this out. Okay, no, that didn't seem to work. Right. Um, I guess I'm going to have to go back downstairs. Now, I think we deal with that first situation. We don't persevere. God, I'm staying here until I feel I have an answer. We get embarrassed about time. How long? How long am I supposed to wait here? How long am I supposed to pray? How long? <coughs> Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, listen, I want to tell you a story about persevering. And persevering is a story like a widow who had problems with a judge who was against her. But what she did was she just kept going to the unjust judge and saying, here I am, I've got this problem, will you answer me? And the judge didn't want to have anything to do with that. But ultimately, the story goes that he got so fed up with her coming back every day. In the end, he says, I'm going to give this widow what she wants just to get her out of my sight. And she got what she came for. And then we're told in our prayers to be the same. To go before God and to give God no rest until he hears our prayers. And there's that, that tenacity. Let's see the tenacity that Elijah had and take hold of that tenacity. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, it says in verse 22, and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child. I bet he was happy. I bet he was excited. He picked up the child. I mean, he says he picked him up. Surely he put him on his shoulders. Surely there was a sense of, yay, come on. Mama, the boy's alive. And then the woman, she says this, now I know you are a man of God. Hello, widow, what about the oil and the flour? What about that? For goodness sake, what have we got to do? But you know there's something just now touching deep into her heart. You know her journey, she'd got to the next bus stop. Now it wasn't just like, I heard there's some God in Israel. He does some amazing things. And he's done some amazing things for me. Now this has touched deep into her heart. Look at the mercy of God. The day of disaster was turned into a day of blessing. Our God sometimes takes us through great even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, for I am with you. I am with you. We have our dark days. We have our traumatic moments. Please God that none of us is facing those dark days today, but you know what? We never really know when they come because life has its ups and downs and has its difficulties. But let's remember what Thessalonians says. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because God is overseeing. He's the one who knew the end from the beginning. 
You see, when Elijah was in the ravine being fed by the ravens, he knew that actually just down the road, he needed to be involved with the resurrection of a boy from the dead. God was preparing Elijah as well as needing to deal with the widow. Later on, we see of Jesus, you know what? There were hundreds of widows in this area. God has purposes for our lives. Even though we walk through tough times, he has purposes for us. And we need to keep following on with him. We need to keep hold of him. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. You know what I think? This woman was a believer. She'd come through. She started to say, okay, this God of Baal, I'm rejecting. I'm rejecting what my surroundings are telling me to do. I'm rejecting what my upbringing has taught me to do. I'm now changing my allegiance because I have seen the glory of this God. God is even interested in saving people from other nations because he has a heart for them. The resurrection of her son brings the widow who served Baal into a relationship with the living God. Now I know you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. Praise the Lord. But you know, all the time that this little story has been going on and there he is tucked away with this widow in this foreign country, there is the backdrop story that we entered into 1 Kings 17 with, which is the story and the dealing with God and the nation of Israel. So the backdrop had been, because there we see Elijah coming in, he actually says to the king, King Ahab, he says, at my word, unless my word comes to you, there is neither going to be dew nor rain in this nation. And it says to us now, as we move into chapter 18, after a long while, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. Go and present yourself to Ahab. Now is the time. Now is the time for us to get moving. Now is the time for us to actually see what is going to happen. Don't forget, as far as Ahab was concerned, there had been no rain, there had been no dew in the nation. And now, Elijah is being told, go and present yourself to the king, and I'm going to send rain on the land. Now, in the time that Elijah had been gone, there had been a lot going on in Israel. I mean, there was a lot going on while Elijah was on the scene, because that's why he came onto the scene, to start to confront and to to deal with the things that had been going on in the nation. Firstly, there was a severe, now there was a severe famine in the land. But this hadn't been going on for one year or two years. This is now the third year when there has been no rain, and so the, the land is dried out. The crops have failed. The animals are dying because they're not being fed. The people are dying because they're not being fed. There's famine, and a severe famine, particularly in Samaria, where the king was. But also during this time, the king's wife, Jezebel, she had been instituting an ethnic cleansing, if you like, of religion. There had been persecution that had been raised up against the prophets of God. And while she was actually persecuting them, it wasn't just that she was putting them out of office, she was murdering them. She was killing them. 
He was actively ascending against the prophets of God. And also, not only killing them off, but there was an ascension. She was drawing through prophets of Baal. There were now 450 prophets of Baal and 300 prophets of Asherah that were eating at her table. That's what it says there. And I thought, that. what does that mean to eat at their table? It means that she was actually having meals with these people. There was relationship. There was a real strong unity between the top of the government, the king's wife, and this religion. It was firmly being entrenched. Not only were you getting rid of your enemies, we were killing off the prophets of God, but there was this real embracing of all the prophets of Baal. And that was the situation that was going on. Jezebel, as we know, she was a princess. She was, a, a, you know, in many ways, she was a very upper-crust woman. Her father, Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And in an earlier sermon we've seen that Ethbal meant with Baal. He was a man, a king, who had given himself over to the worship of Baal. And here was his daughter following absolutely in her, his fa- in her father's footsteps and bringing that same religion into Israel. So that's what was going on in the country while Elijah was out the way. And Elijah had been so stirred by this, he wanted to see an awakening of his people. And he wanted to see that they would turn back again to serve the one and only true God, who was Yahweh. That was what he was seeking to do. In fact, he had come to point out to the people of Israel that salvation, that real life, if you like, was to be found only by following the ways of Yahweh. That was their background, but they'd lost it. And they'd get caught up in many other things. But it wasn't only that he wanted to point out salvation. He wanted to destroy the works of the kingdom of darkness and to bring community transformation to his people. Now, when you look at those points, you can clearly see that this is Elijah that is upon the church of today. The church of today has two major roles that it is to take to heart. Firstly, the preaching of the gospel of salvation. We know that. We know that it's so important that we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. In our offices, in our schools, where we go during the week, not only just whether we're here, when we have the opportunity to share, what do we want to share? We want to share the message that there is good news, there is salvation from our sins to be found in the name of Jesus Christ. Salvation is available. We want to proclaim salvation. But you know what? The church hasn't only been called to proclaim salvation. The church has been called as the people of God to tear down principalities and the evil powers that are reigning over our nation and to bring community transformation to our people. Those are the two roles that the church has. If you notice that the church is really operating in one of those roles and really half-heartedly in one of those roles, which is to preach the gospel of salvation. The church is known for preaching the gospel. But you know what? The gospel in itself starts to become less effective if the church cannot display the power and the authority of God, and to tear down the works of darkness. Isaiah 59 verse 19 says this, when the, and then I'm reading from the King James, because it reads like this in the King James. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And that describes what the work of the church is. When the enemy is coming in, is the enemy coming into our nation? Do we see the effect of the enemy in our nation? The works of darkness in our nation? The answer is yes, as far as I'm concerned. 
I think the answer is yes, as far as you're concerned. Just think for a moment of the film industry, the film classification. We all know if you go to see a film at the cinema, at the beginning, you get that certificate that comes up to show what its certification is. You know, the stuff that they're showing in films now, at certificate 15, even lower than that, would have been a certificate 18, 15 or 20 years ago. We know that. How often do we think, this is disgraceful. Why are they allowing this? Why do they show that? That's just as an example that there has been an increase in darkness in this land. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Jesus Christ has said, my church is here to stand against the flood of the enemy. And it's not just to preach that there is salvation. There's forgiveness of sins. It almost seems to lose its power and its authority when the church says, enough is enough. Now listen to the voice of Almighty God. That's what the church should be about. When 1 John 3, verse 8, it says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the enemy. The reason that Jesus appeared it was to bring an end to the work of the enemy. There is confrontation in that. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says this, For I resolved, this is coming to the Corinthian church, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, that's how Paul came. He didn't come just to say, oh, you need to be saved. He came to say, we've come here to break the powers of darkness, so that you can see there is a change in the spiritual climate over your town, so that we can see the release of the captives, those that are held in bondage, those that have heard the gospel but can't respond to it because there is a blindness upon their eyes. Because it says in Corinthians that the enemy has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they cannot hear the glory of the gospel of the kingdom of God. You see, the work of darkness brings darkness to people. And there's no use the church just preaching the good news. The church needs to be able to arise and take authority over the powers of darkness. And that is the message that Elijah was coming to for his nation. He wasn't just here to say, oh, you need to turn to Yahweh. You need to turn to the living God. He had come to actually say, I am coming against the prophets of Baal. I am coming to stop the powers of darkness. In Elijah's day, Jezebel was working for the kingdom of darkness. She was an active agent of the enemy. She was doing all that she could in her power to see the works of darkness increase. That is where she was coming from. Now Elijah, as we move on into uh, chapter 18, Elijah does come to meet with Ahab. Verse, 18, uh, verse 10 of chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, I'll read it to you. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you and whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. What we find here is that actually, when Elijah is speaking to Obadiah, who is a guy in charge of the king's palace, and he's talking about things, Obadiah says, well, where the heck have you been? You're the most wanted man in Israel. 
The king has been looking everywhere for you. The king has been sending out envoys to every person. And he wasn't just saying, have you seen this man? Have you understood this guy? Is he in your territory? He made them swear that they hadn't seen him. He was actually saying, are you sure you haven't seen him? He was the most wanted man. And now he's suddenly pitched up again. But Elijah doesn't just hide away in the Kiris ravine. And don't we see in these words, again, the provision of God. God said to him, I want you to go to this back of beyond place, the Keris Ravine. I want you to stay there. I'm going to feed you there. And then he takes him from there to Sidon to be fed by a, a widow. He's taken these out-of-the-way places. Why? Because God was wanting to protect his prophet. He was wanting to hide him away. And it had been completely successful. What God can do in the midst of that is he can protect us. He can watch over us. God still has a plan, even in the midst of things that are not always nice for us to experience. But Elijah comes to the king. In verse 16, we see this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel. Hmm. Well, debatable point, that, actually. It is a debatable point. But he says this, I haven't made trouble for Israel, but you, king, you, Ahab, you and your father's family have. The trouble that's come to Israel isn't through me. It's through what you have done. He addresses the situation. You have abandoned the Lord's command, and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah doesn't mince his words, does he? Elijah knows he's on a mission. And Elijah is not phased by meeting the king. He comes straight to the king and he says it as it is. Look, you think I've caused trouble. I'm not the one who's caused trouble. You are the one that has walked away from the words of God. You are the one that has walked away from the commands of God. Just imagine going up to the Queen or to David Cameron and saying this. David, I've got a few things I'd like to say to you. And he's saying, oh, you, you religious lot, you're always causing problems. Hey, we're not causing problems. You've caused the problem. It's time for you to get us back into line with God, to back to following the ways of God. None of this, shall we have this law, shall we please these people, shall we do this to make everybody happy, that's coming to an end. Now we need to return to the ways of God. This is a face-on confrontation. Elijah says to Ahab, right, all of the prophets, you know all about them, they're eating at your table, your wife's table, you know exactly what's going on in the nation, right, now gather everybody to Mount Carmel, we're going to have a showdown. So that's what happens. The gauntlet is thrown down, in verse 20, we read this. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said to them, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. How long will you waver between two opinions? Do we waver between two opinions now? Are we in that situation? Yes, we do. 
we do waver between two opinions. Because we think that both sides have something to offer. We think that there's value in lots of different things. How can we tell this? I think you can tell it most because when you see somebody who is unashamedly sold out for the kingdom of God, you instantly know that they're different from you. You know that, wow, they're, they're just focused. They've given up, they, they give up things willingly. They don't seem to have the same problem. They don't seem to have the same problems that we face. They don't seem to have difficulty in making the choices that we find difficult with. So do we think that people can be like this? Yes. When we see people who are sold out, they're going for it. We do get distracted. We do get confused. We're not always single-minded about the things of God. We love many other things that the world has to offer. Seemingly just ordinary things. You ever heard somebody say, I can't go without my cup of coffee first thing in the morning? Why not? Why not? Well, you don't understand what it does to me. I can't function properly. That may be true. I can't forgo my Saturday morning lying. I can't go to the prayer meeting. I'd love to. I, I know I would love to, and perhaps I will one day, but you know, generally speaking, I have a lion. That's the only time I have to myself. You don't understand what's going on in my world. And you know what? There are things in our lives that have no, they're not evil things. You know, having a few extra moments in bed is not an evil thing. Having a cup of coffee in the morning is not an evil thing. But it's what distracts us. What takes us away? What things dissipate our passion for the single-mindedness of knowing God? What are they? I mean, those are just two examples that we can reach out on, and sometimes they affect our lives or not. That's not really the issue. The issue is, are there things that actually take hold of our minds? Is there duplicity? Do we try to walk the tightrope between both worlds? And the answer to that is, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Do we need help in getting away from that? The answer to that is, yes, we do. We do. I'm not putting myself in some holier-than-thou situation to think that there, are no, there aren't things that don't you know, get into my life and distract me, because they're there. Please, God, show us, because we don't want to have this wavering between two opinions. Is Baal God? Well, do I like the things of the world? Well, yes, I do, and there's nothing really wrong with them. Oh, but I do like God as well, and I like going to church, and I enjoy those things. And here we are, caught in this world of wandering backwards and forwards, and spending our time from going from side to side, instead of marching faithfully forward. We want to advance in the things of God. We don't want to be thrown away. In 1 John it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. We need to see God for who he is. Because that will shake us out of our duplicity. 1 Kings 18, verse 22. Having said to the people, who are you going to follow? And having been faced with a massive vote of silence, Elijah says to him, listen, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. 
but Baal has 450 prophets. Go and get two bulls for us. Let them choose for the one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but won't set fire to it. Then you, talking to the prophets of Baal, you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of my Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Have a competition. All right, let's prove it. Let's prove this once and for all. You don't know whether you can really trust God. You don't know whether he's going to come up with the goods. You're not quite sure which is the best way to turn. You'd love to know, but you're uncertain. Right, let's stop all of this. This is showdown time. You prophets of Baal, we're both going to have a sacrifice. You choose the bull. You know, take whichever one you want, okay? You take the bull, put it on your pile of wood. You call upon your God and see if he brings fire. I will do the same. There's one of me, there's 450, well, there's another 400, there's 850 of you lot, and one of me. But we're going to do the same thing. Now, let's just say this, the God who answers by fire, let him be God. What did the people say? Then the people said, what you say is good. What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Guys, you go first. It's fine. And the people said, yeah, this is good. We're going to do what it's going to say. Now, let's just look at a few things here. First of all, there is real power in the spiritual realm. This wasn't just, you know, oh, that seems like a good idea. The prophets of Baal had the power to do the impossible. See, we read the story and say, well, of course, they've got no power. Oh, they had power. If you ever, the guys, we watched a film once about northern Uganda and the, and the battle of what was the Lord's Resistance Army led by a man called Joseph Koenig. And he was causing all sorts of trouble in northern Uganda. He actually was a witch doctor or had a guy who had spiritual authority. And it, to cut a long story short, uh, connection between the, the government and the armed forces of Uganda and the prayer people of Uganda. They, the prayer people said to him, listen, you're never going to win this army. You're never going to win this battle against uh, Kony and his forces. This is a spiritual battle, and it needs to be fought spiritually. And eventually, uh, the president of Uganda and the, and the senior men in the armed forces agreed, and they allowed intercessors to go in. What Kony was doing is he was going from place to place where there were demonic altars, that is, places where they would call upon the spirit, spiritual world and the spirits would give Kony insight and understanding of what the armed forces were doing so that when they were coming, they were able to move their forces out the way. So it just seemed to be that he was always seemed to be just gone from a place. Kony was an evil man. They used to capture women, rape women. They had boy soldiers that used to do atrocities, all sorts of horrible things. But the bottom line was this guy had his power through spiritual connection. There is a reality in the spiritual realm. There are people all around the world in businesses who are doing these things. They, you, know, you know, we hear about this much more in places like Haiti or in Africa where you hear about child sacrifices 
where these things are going on. This is where sacrifices are made. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is made at an altar. What is an altar? An altar is a connecting place between the spirit world and the, and the real world, the, the physical world. Stupid to say real world because they're both real. And so when they're making sacrifices, blood sacrifices, it attracts the demonic spirit. That's why it's so important in our times of worship. We didn't just come here this morning to sing a few songs. I know we're just looking at the screen, and incidentally, we have a screen that is disappearing. We should be raising our hands to our screen and commanding the light to come back. That will be fixed shortly, but if you're sitting on that side over the next few weeks, I think you'd better bring a torch, actually, or something like that, to help us out. There is a reality in these things. We live our lives with the unreality. We live our lives pushing it away. We live our lives as saying, oh yeah, there's some nasty stuff. Listen, tomorrow is Halloween. Tomorrow is a dangerous day in the spiritual world. Not that our God isn't able, but because these are real powers. If the people of God do not rise up in prayer against it, then they are rising up to pray and to make their sacrifices to raise up against the church, to raise up to see that the people of God are nullified, kept in their catchment of darkness. Because the Satan has a plan which is to prevent the purposes of God going, going across the world. This is why the church cannot afford to be silent during these days, but to rise up. Now the prophets of Baal knew that they had authority. What they didn't know was that Elijah, through what he had done with God, had broken them. Elijah did not go there hoping for victory. Elijah went there knowing he had victory. Now there's a difference. So when they said, do you go up for the challenge? We're up for the challenge. Our God is able. The prophets of Baal were saying, our demons are able. But one of the altars in northern Uganda, one of the places where, one of the most powerful places where Kony went to get his spiritual recharge from the demons, was a place where it was so, the influence of the demonic was so strong that there was a spring there, and the spring was actually um, poisonous. It was bringing up poisonous water. And when I mean it was poisonous, if any birds or animals went to drink there, they died. And it was known. When the intercessors had been there, they prayed. They broke the covenants and the curses. And one of the intercessors, in front of many of the armed forces, jumped in and drank the water. And he came out, and everybody was looking at him. He was fine. Many of the soldiers gave their lives to Jesus Christ that day because they knew that there had been an overcoming of the spiritual power of God. This is what our God is like. The glory of God needs to be upon his church to see the church rise up because we have authority in the name of Jesus. All authority has been given unto me, therefore I say to you, go and make disciples of the nations. That is what Jesus has said to us. So here, back to our story, the guys from Baal went first. They took the bull given to them and they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout a bit louder. Come on, guys, you can do it. Come on. What's going on? Have you got a problem? Demon's not listening. Baal's not there. What's happening? Yeah, he was 
He was being provoking. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Oh, you're making all these claims. This is the one you're serving. Isn't he able to do what you have said he is able to do? Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Perhaps he's away today. Perhaps he's not on the phone at the moment. Perhaps he's just got his answering machine on. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's got to be wakened. So they shouted louder. And then you start to see some of the demonic happenings because it says they start to cut themselves, as was their fashion. They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. That is because Elijah, with God, had taken authority over the power of death. The task of the church in these days is not to speak idle talk, is for a people who know their God to do exploits, to do exploits with him. Now, they've got to give up. It's Elijah's turn. They'd tried all their techniques, they'd cut themselves. We're running out of time, I know, but you know what? There's many of the young people, not just young people, there's many people in this land who suffer from self-harming. This isn't a thing that God does. This is trauma. Trauma. Things that happen to people's lives, wounds that get placed upon them, things that they think they're not wanted, they're not loved, they're unable, they want to have control over something. Listen, this is influence of darkness. We need to wake up. So often we don't think, oh, this is just the happenings of our age. This is not just the happenings of our age. This is the influence of the spirits of darkness that come upon people. Do they feel ashamed and hurt and upset of what they have done? Do they want to get away from it? Do they want to feel more lovely? Do they want to feel changed? If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus can set you free. No matter what voices are speaking to you, no matter what dark powers are influencing you, no matter what is coming against you, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, he is more powerful, he is more able to set you free from anything that the enemy comes against. We need to declare it. The church in this nation has a voice and it has a message to declare to the people who are suffering that God can set people free. Elijah had gained his ground and now he comes to his turn. He simply does a few things. Firstly, he repairs the altar of the Lord. Secondly, he prepares his sacrifice. Thirdly, he increases the difficulty for him. When he built, he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He brings the 12 stones showing the tribes of Israel, and he gets his altar together. He gets the firewood on. He puts his, cuts up the bull and puts the sacrifice on top of it. He's ready. Now he says, like, okay, guys, get some water. He's already dug a trench around. He's got a trench that would hold about 15 litres of water, and he gets some big jars. He says, hey, fill up all the water jars. Come and pour it over. They do it once. 
hey, that's not enough, do it again. He soaks his sacrifice. He says, hey, it's not enough, do it a third time. He totally and utterly drenches his firewood. Everybody now knows that in the natural, it's, not, it's going to take more than petrol. This is not going to work. The natural mind of man is now also being closed down. This becomes impossible unless God comes. So he repairs the altar of the Lord. He prepares his sacrifice. He increases the difficulty and establishes the place of men's minds. And then he does the fourth thing. He simply prays to God. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of sea. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water. Do it a third time, he said. The water ran down around the altar, even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, so that these people will know you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. And they cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, When the presence of the Lord comes, duplicity dies. When the presence of the Lord comes, double-mindedness, indecision evaporates. When the presence of the Lord comes, the people are transformed. What we need is God. Now let's not forget how much this had cost Elijah. It had cost him his life but he was prepared to give his life to come to this moment. He'd given up a comfy existence for the sake of the people to return to their God. He'd been sent to that barren ravine. He'd been fed by the ravens. He'd had to go to a foreign country, live with a widow, just on flour and oil for a long while. But now, the price was nothing because God had come. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. I know we might think it's harsh, but you know what? There's only one thing to deal with the enemies of God. They need to be utterly destroyed. No sympathy. They need to be destroyed. The enemies that have been taunting us that come against us, they come against us to try to crush us, to break us, to make us less than the purposes of God for us. And we often are made smaller and life is made more difficult as we come under their authority, as we get bowed down, and as though we're sort of, we're, we're, we're sort of the same person, but we're just not operating at the same level. 
They want to nullify. They want to limit. They want to distract. Listen, we need to be violent. Violent men take hold of the kingdom of God. They take it by force. There needs to be a spirit of violence that comes up. Not as in we're being nasty to people. I don't mean that. But we need to say, look, enough is enough. We need to shake ourselves. And finally, we're going to finish here. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink. Don't forget he'd seen this. The king had seen it. Go eat and drink. For there's the sound of heavy How wonderful it is. When he comes at the beginning of 1 Kings 17, when he speaks to Ahab, he says, at my word, there's not going to be dew or rain. Here's the word coming from Elijah. I hear the sound of Listen, folks. We're not just here to be evangelists. We're here to take hold of the purposes of God. Now, I'm sorry, we're just up to 12 o'clock. If you do have children that you need to get from your classes, you might need to go out and pick them up in a second, okay? If anybody needs to, don't worry about getting up and going out. We're just going to move into a time of prayer here. We as a church need to learn how to deal with the forces of darkness. I can't tell you all the things. It's not as though I've come here to instruct you and say I know exactly what it is. But I know a God who is going to lead us and who is going to help us because he wants to see his church arise. Yes, we need to be able to be ready to proclaim the gospel, but we also need to be ready to take down, to tear down the spiritual forces of darkness that are ruling over Bromley and over our nation to set the captives free. Because the people are looking not only for the way of salvation, they're looking for the power and authority of God. Now, we need to arise, and today, we need to pray specifically, because tomorrow is Halloween. We need to take authority against every spirit of darkness that wants to come against our families, that is intimidating our lives, that is intimidating us. We need to actually get aggressive. We need to arise. Just imagine, as a father or a mother here, You've got young children, or when they were young, you think of somebody coming in to affect your children, to touch your children, you would say, you get through me first. I, you come to me first. You are not touching my kids. Now, we do that in the natural. We need to arise this morning in the spiritual. And we need to acknowledge, look, powers of darkness, forces of evil, you are not coming against my household. In the name of Jesus, not in who we are, not in who we are, we have no power, but in the name of Jesus there is power. And we have authority in him. It says in the Bible that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And when it says that, it says this, far above every power and authority. Let me tell you, if you are seated far above every power, are they below you or above you? They're below you. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, we take authority. And we say every spirit of intimidation, every spirit of distraction, every spirit of unbelief, I stand against you in the name of Jesus. I command you to take your arms off of my family. Poverty, if it's grabbing hold of us, indebtedness that we never seem to escape from, sickness that seems to be coming against us, I am standing against you in the name of Jesus. Every formula, every working of the enemy that is coming against my household that is going to be covenanted tomorrow I resist now in the name of Jesus. We are stopping, we are bindering, we are hindering the work of the enemy. 
Why? Because we're the people of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? But it's time for us to go into warfare. It's time for us to arise. It's time for us to say enough is enough. It's time for us to say no more duplicity. I want it out of my life. Come on, God, come and do your work in me. But I'm not giving up. I'm taking my stand. Are you ready to take your stand? Are you ready to stand up for your country? Are you ready to stand up for your family? Are you ready to stand up against the forces of darkness? Even if you feel intimidated, like, oh, can I do this? Well, okay, you need to stand up and say, God, I'm trusting in you. So even if you feel broken and held in, I'm coming against this. I am not going to be overcome because Jesus is my overcomer. Jesus didn't go to the cross just as a sort of a laugh. He went there to redeem us, to set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free. Let's take hold of our freedom again. Let's stand up. Rick and the band, as I say, if you need to get your children, then please go and get them and bring them back in here. But we're just going to lift up our voices while the band are playing. And just think tomorrow is, uh, is um, Halloween, so we're making our stand. We're going to stand against that. But just as well, the band are playing, let's lift up our voices now and pray for our families. God, we're asking you to come upon us. We're asking you. We don't want to get stirred because we want to stand against them. Look, imagine somebody to come and capture your goods in your house. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.